0: will be with you. Always.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and today I'm going to be standing alone. You could say that I'm going to be standing up. I'm going to be giving you some truths about the world. Well, let's be honest, I'm not. I'm going to be regurgitating some truths from somebody else. But I am stood here alone, and this is the Patreon choice. Uh, for this quarter. It's running a little late. That's because of holidays, work and... Well, the world's bonkers, let's be honest. And so the poll was put out there. And I wanted to do something quite... Not comedic. I'm not the funniest guy. I'm not going to start spouting jokes. But I wanted to sort of cover off comedy. It's not something we've done a great deal of on 20th Century Geek. So I put a poll out and I put out three names that uh, the top tier Patreon uh, guys could choose from. Uh, I'm not going to get through all of them. Uh, because those choices will come up again, and I don't want to spoil it. But the choice was made, and we're going to tell you today, I'm going to talk to you about uh, a comic who has a very strong cult status, um, was ahead of the curve in many, many ways, Um, saw what was coming, didn't give a fuck about what the world was going to be, but in many ways has also been forgotten. He was big in the UK for a short time, Uh, And unfortunately, he passed away in February 1994 from cancer. And in that time since then, he has had uh, an undulating um, notoriety. I'm talking today about American comedian Bill Hicks. Where
0: have I been? I've been on my flying saucer tour. Which means like flying saucers, I too have been appearing in small southern towns in front of a handful of hillbillies lately. No one doubts my existence. Yeah, I've noticed a certain anti-intellectualism going around this country, man, ever since around 1980. Coincidentally enough. I was in Nashville, Tennessee last week and after the show I went to a Waffle House, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm eating and I'm reading a book. I don't know anybody, I'm alone. I'm eating and I'm reading a book. And this waitress comes over to me. What's he reading for? Wow, I've never been asked that. Not what am I reading, but what am I reading for? Well, goddammit, you stumped me. I guess I read for a lot of reasons, but the main one is so I don't end up being a fucking waffle waitress.
1: Bill Hicks. Uh, Say born December sixteenth, nineteen sixty one. Died February twenty sixth, nineteen ninety four. And in that time, he reached a level of fame that was limited. If a more in in all honesty, Uh, he's an interesting guy. He's an interesting character. And one of the reasons I I laud him uh, for his work is the fact that to him, stand up comedy was the end goal. You see a lot of stand up comics. Especially American stand up comics, and it's a sort of uh, a, a, a stepping stone, you know, it's another sort of rung on the ladder to something else, to something bigger, something better, whether they get a TV show or whatever. I mean, think of you know, everyone from uh, Jerry Seinfeld through to. Jerry, what's his name? James Corden doing the Late Show, those sort of things. So all those people, comedians, whether they be stand up or whatever, use it to get to the next song. I mean, was it? Everybody, everybody loves Raymond. You know those sorts of actors. They want to get a sitcom uh, or something else. Not Bill Hicks. To to Bill to to Bill, it was all about. I call him Bill. I will be calling Bill whatever. But in this, even though was not, I never met him, wasn't my friend. But to Bill, it seems that it was that was you know the end he all he wanted is he had a vision he had a world view and he wanted people to wake up and see what he saw and he was going to convey it in the most comedic yet aggressive way um, we'll get onto that when we get to his shows later on but let's start looking about why because Bill Hicks is an interesting guy in that he moved around a lot as a kid and he eventually settled in Texas at the age of seven, with his family, his family, uh, mother, father, a uh, couple of siblings, led a very sort of quiet existence. You know, there's nothing hugely, not- you know, of notoriety about them. The mother and father uh, were quietly religious. You know, yet yeah, they weren't evangelicals, but they were probably more religious than not religious. You know, they went every Sunday. But the idea for them was very much like, you know, you go every Sunday, you keep your head down, you do the right thing and you carry on. It wasn't going to be all about, you know, the crosses and, you know, to the letter of the Bible thing. But there was a a goodness to them. That was the intent. It was almost like, you know, know, we're going to edge our vets a little bit, maybe. And so it's interesting because both his mother and father are like that. And it came up later on. I mean, you know, I've already sworn once on this and he was quite a sweary gentleman. But the thing with bill is you know so profanity again was just a part and parcel of his act it wasn't it wasn't there to shock it wasn't there to think it was just who he was um, and one example is his dad i'd say confront him sounds too strong but his dad once questioned him and said well bob hope doesn't do doesn't use swear words and profanity and bill responds by well, saying well bob hope doesn't do the fucking venues that i do yeah you know, it it was clear that there was a conflict in their sort of world view. Uh, One of the things I've always said in the the world, and I believe this quite strongly, is there are two types of people. There are bubble people, and um, there are sort of world people, okay? And bubble people feel very secure in their bubble, and the bubble can be smaller, it can be a bit larger, but they're very much like to be in their bubble, and they find some form of protection in that. And I won't say that's religion, in some cases it is, but sometimes it can be very close family, and it's sort of like becoming incredibly tribal about a town or a block or whatever but they have very much a bubble perspective like this is their world. People have those same attributes but can they be world people and they will go out and they will experiment and they will question and they will be curious and they will educate themselves and push the boundaries. And it seems, you know, when I think about this that Bill's family, at least his parents, um, were bubble people. They liked the small living. You know, it's secure. It's that white picket fence. This is the American dream to an extent. Well, Bill was willing to question that and say, why, why the fuck have I got to get up every day, go to work to a job I don't like, to be told off by a boss that uh, you know clearly doesn't like me and just wants me to do all their work? Why should I be doing that when there are things going on in the world that that are horrendous and need to be sort of pointed out? You know, why, why should I stand by and let this happen? So there are anecdotal stories of him as a kid literally confronting his parents about this. But he was never disrespectful. You know, it was always done probably in the most respectful way, but it was to say, like, look, this is your worldview, but I do not share that.
0: <coughs> I did that joke in Alabama. These three rednecks met me after the show. Hey, buddy, come here. Hey, Mr. Comedian, come here. Yeah, I love that move. Come here. <laughs> Not a physics major. I mean, that's a safe bet. Mr. Funny Man, come here. Hey, buddy, we're Christians. We don't like what you said. I said, then forgive me. Later, when I was hanging from the tree,
1: <laughs> and I think a part of that worldview comes from his love of comedy uh, as a child. He, he really was a big lover of comedy. Um, maybe got into the comedy too young, you know, it's one of those things not, not to get into comedy because things can be funny, but getting into adult comedy maybe too young. I mean, he was inspired by you know, born in 61 in sort of early 70s. In his pre teens and teens, he's inspired by like Woody Allen, Richard Pryor, and these guys are sort of you know doing quite sophisticated comedy, regardless of how you know, there are other things, especially Woody Allen. Their comedy and sensibilities are incredibly sort of adult and sophisticated, yet as a kid, he's still being inspired by those. He was trying to write these things, he was trying to sort of like understand how this works. So it's, it's funny, there's a comedian, a British comedian called Tony Hancock. We might speak about in one day. Did Hancock's half hour and all these other things played like the grumpy sort of chap. And one of the things he had—he died in depression and desperation because he could never understand why people found him funny. And this is, you know, a real sort of overview of it. But he never understood why people found him funny. And the more he looked into it, the less he understood it, uh, and it really confused him. And I think that like, you can see that Bill was getting to that point as well. Where he's like, "Why is this work? Why are these things funny?" Uh, and it seems that once he sort of gets into the swing of it, he seems to throw that away and just go with what he knows.
0: <laughs> that makes a hundred thousand a year. So <laughs> you never say hello. You're always running around. Just, can't you sit down? It sounds like you're eating two rocks together and they are rolling down a hill with cans. (laughs) I can be funny, too. Hello. As soon as you get your own place and your own apartment, you can do as you mighty well, hoo-ha, please. As long as I'm the one paying the bills, you're going to be miserable.
1: When he gets to high school, he meets one of his best friends, a guy called Dwight Slade, who was also um, very much into comedy and music. And the two sort of seem to really hit it off. They're very close, uh, but more than that, they share a spirit of challenging. This idea that, like you know, the world's there to be challenged, so let's challenge it. Um, they wrote things together, and they would do what can be only can only be considered guerrilla comedy skits. Uh, in which they would sort of appear out of nowhere in the school or other places where their friends and the people they knew would hang out. They would do a comedy bit and then disappear. <laughs> Leave people laughing and just disappear. And it was this idea of sort of the spontaneity of this comedy. And as you were getting older, you can see this is in the air. I mean, you know, it's great to hit, because it would have been in the 70s and the 80s, but it seems like, you know, I can imagine Bill... At this stage at least, I mean he was still young, like, you know, This is still like, you know, if if this is the seventies, this is him in his early teens in high school. But you can see that same spirit and anarchic, you know, sensibilities in sort of like early SNL and the Canadian yeah, you know, the Canadian equivalent. So you're talking like Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and that crew of people, Chevy Chase, that were really just pushing the bounds of comedy and trying to make do something different, that alternative take on comedy. But living in sort of Houston, Texas, there was nowhere really for Bill to go. And so he would do his bits and pieces wherever he could. And on one apparently sort of Bible camp, which again, the irony is not lost when you consider his later sort of sensibilities, he did a comedy bit. He literally stood up as a, t- as a young teenager, 12, 13, 14 years old, and did. A comedy bit to the to the campsite members, and the first his parents heard of it was when uh, the uh, minister, the Baptist minister, sort of responded back with, uh, "Your son's hilarious. It's the f- my, my you know uh, my precious. Think he's the funniest thing around." And so they weren't willing to put him down or willing to sort of like back him into a corner. They sort of allowed it to grow, believing that it was a good outlet, and it was. It clearly is. I mean, it it allowed him to vent his frustrations. You know, and it so, but really in the area, like you know, they thought this was going to be doing like talent shows or maybe some bits at the church or something like that. That was the idea, and it wasn't until sort of like something happened, something accidental, like these little coincidences happen, and we we start to realise that Bill is destined for bigger things and also isn't scared. And the one things I will always, I I seem to applaud Bill Hicks for is his bravery constantly throughout his career, like. Um, he is a man that basically stands up for what he believes in, but also just does stuff. um I can, you know, he's born in sort of December, uh, a Sagittarius. I know I'm, I'm not really into that, but I'm a Sagittarius too, so I can sort of empathise and sort of like see a fellow Sagittarian in this sort of like. No, I'll do that. That sounds like a good laugh. Uh, it's got me into trouble on numerous occasions. But the thing is, he actually went. He was driving along. They'd been out, and he, had, him, Dwight, and some other friends were out. Uh, this is, I think it must have been 17, 16, 17, 18. No, no, 16, 17, I think it is. And he, the drummer, and they see a place called the Comedy Workshop in Houston. It's a new comedy club, okay? Hasn't been open long, but it's getting to have some established comedians there. And this was, oh, it was when he was 17 in 1978. And he and Dwight just go, yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to go in there, and we're going to do a bit and we're going to do this and we're going to be a double act. And they did. And they stood up in front of comedians that had probably been doing this for 10, 15 years. These guys have been professionals and were willing to put you know their balls on the line really to say look take us serious. And and they did. They respected these kids to stand up and uh, they did some double act stuff, but then Bill started to do a solo act and he did a very observational sort of humour, very much around his lifestyle, but it was still poking fun, you could see that he was like an outsider looking in, even at that point, at 17 and 18, he was still an outsider looking in um, at this sort of provincial America and, you know, the, the crazy Americana of that time, looking at it and going like, you know, how quaint it is you know, like <laughs> Uh, and he would rip rip on things like his family and and sort of like you know um, uh, a little bit of religion and the people of Houston and th- this notion of bubble people and world people like he would that seems to fit again into his sort of sphere of, of humor. But it was never aggressive at this point. It was it was f- you know ribbing rather than punching someone in the face which is sort of at one point it can become but this was consistent like he was working on a regular basis he was sneaking out of the house and was doing this on a regular basis a weekly basis he was going along and doing this and people were seeing him and his parents didn't know which is amazing because no one was reporting back
0: I'm sure he got that from my father too guys tries to make everything a learning experience. when I was real small. I was like, tragic. I used to go, Dad, can I have five dollars so me and John could start a lemonade stand? He'd go, well, if I give you the five dollars bill as an investor, fuck it, Dad. I just want some women here,
1: no. And so th- this is you know the early sort of eighties. time he has been doing it for a year or two. He then calls on his brother, and so who's at college by this point, and says, "You need to come down and see what I'm doing." And his college br- old brother, who's two years older than him, uh, literally comes down, sits in the audience, and is thinking like, "What is gonna, What am I gonna see? Is my brother gonna be making a fool of himself? Am I gonna have to get him off the stage?" And then he comes on and does his act. And these adults are laughing with him, not at him, as a stand-up comedian. They are, you know, they are, he is taking them on that ride. The sort of one of the things I'm always, always like, uh, in awe of with really good professional uh, stand-up comedians is their ability to take someone on a, on a journey and, you know, hold a, a crowd enthralled and tell them jokes and stories, and that's what he does. Anyway, it sort of gets back to his parents. They're a little disapproving. But they don't stop it. Um, There is a bit of a thing of like, you know... Look, he's been doing it for a while now. He's going to be 18. We can't really stop him from doing it. But he's starting to get a bit of a name for himself. And so he decides that he and Dwight... They're not going to go to college. They're not going to do that that sort of thing. They're going to move to New York. And he does. He uproots, takes his stuff, and he goes to New York. And they start to write a screenplay. So they're doing gigs uh, when they're in New York... And he is writing a screenplay, and the screenplay is very much based on his comedy. So at this point, he and Dwight, Dwight in particular, have got that uh, regular vision in mind. You know, this idea of, like, we'll do stand-up comedy, and then we'll use our bits and put them into a script, and, you know, we can then get a film or a a sitcom or something like that, and then that's us up to the big leagues. That was clearly the intention. And it doesn't quite work out. The script apparently is relatively good. It gets shipped around a little bit in New York, and people sort of go, "Yeah, it's a good first draft," and hand it back, not knowing that this is actually about the fifteenth or sixteenth draft, and that they sort of they become a little bit disparaged by that to the extent of actually, while Dwight continues to try and write and tweak the script, Bill just gives up. He realizes that that isn't really where his heart is, and he continues to do the stand-up but at this point he's actually sort of beginning to explore other things like he's becoming a lot more aware of not just america but the world uh living in new york he's exposed to a whole bunch of new things different people different sensibilities different cultures and one of the things he does is during this time some of his friends are you know uh are tearaways not is probably the wrong word but they're you know they're experimental they're drinking they do sort of like recreational drugs and all this other stuff bill's pretty much sort of like straight laced, you know and doesn't really do a great deal doesn't drink doesn't really do drugs uh, has dabbled with smoking at this point but not really done anything and it's not until sort of a point it, when he's in new york he Goes back home and goes to his friend's ranch and does mushrooms, uh, as in shrooms, the hallucinogenic shrooms. And this experience is almost like a left turn. It's a hard left turn for Bill. In that, this experience he carries with him for the rest of his life, the next sort of ten years. This is sort of early eighties, and he has this experience of a great white light uh, of some interstellar interdimensional sort of intelligence giving him this information that basically says it's all right it's nuts isn't it everything's crazy but it's all right because you know you there is no death you are all one being you are all one intelligence and you can do better and you can do this and you can do that and after it like he wakes up the next morning and you know hangover most probably but he's had this experience and it fucks with his head and he starts to integrate this with his, with his comedy
0: it's interesting, isn't it interesting that two drugs that are legal alcohol and cigarettes two drugs that do absolutely nothing for you whatsoever <laughs> and drugs that grow naturally upon this planet drugs that open your eyes up to make you realise how you're being fucked every day of your life <laughs> those drugs are against the law wow. coincidence? I don't know I'm sure their motives are pure but uh,
1: uh,
0: and I'm glad they're against the law because you know what happened when I took them I laid in a field of green grass for four hours going my god I love everything The heavens parted, God looked down and rained gifts of forgiveness onto my being, healing me on every level, psychically, physically, emotionally. And I realized our true nature is spirit, not body, that we are eternal beings and God's love is unconditional and there's nothing we can ever do to change that. It is only our illusion that we are separate from God or that we are alone. In fact... The reality is, we are one with God and He loves us. Now, if that isn't a hazard to this country, do you see my point?
1: Unfortunately, it has a detrimental effect. Whilst he's expanding, he has the frustrations of performing, and it's regular. He's doing six nights a week, and it starts to really wear on him. And whilst he's sort of doing these dive gigs, he is getting some notoriety. He's appearing appearing on some of the late shows and a couple of he's doing uh, been booked on like comedy specials and comedy tours and sort of stuff. But, you know, not headlining stuff yet, you know, by sort of like 87 he's sort of he's, you know, he's really sort of beginning to find his way and he's been on sort of certain shows, but he's not the name, you know, that the marquee name that I'm, that's the one I'm thinking of. That sort of comes. But what happens is is once he's in New York, he you know, he's done drugs. He starts to drink. And this frustration and the repetition of it... Like, he starts to just want to... Follow. He's looking for a vent. Because he sort of seems to be in a rut. And, unfortunately, he gets a reputation... Not as a great comedian, but as a great drinker. Um, you know, he smokes regularly. And he will then start to go on stage. And people will buy him drinks. Like, the other comedians will come out and send a beer up. Or someone in the audience will send him a shot. Or these things. And he gets drunker and drunker and he gets more angry and more aggressive and the axe becomes more akin to what it becomes the later bill hicks but is alcohol fueled there are moments where it'll be funny and you'll be talking about his usual stuff about sort of politics or uh, you know the use of recreational drugs he's moving into that he's moved away from the softer stuff around poking fun at america and then it becomes into a rant Uh, And it wasn't until there was a show that his brother comes goes up to New York to see, and uh, basically, Bill just gets to a point in the stage where he just sort of literally is lying on the floor, just shouting at people in the audience and making noise. And his brother's like, "Okay, we need to do something. Like, this is this this is a moment in history that could either make or break my brother. He's got to stand up and deal with this, or he's gonna die." And um, his brother confront confronts his friends and stuff in New York um, and especially Dwight who has come and gone and says like well why haven't why hasn't anything really happened about this?" And you know it, then it all comes out really that part of the lifestyle, this is how they they roll, this is how it all happens. and so it, it's become more and more of a problem but because it's been incremental, you know the toad in the hot water analogy like it wasn't dropped in it it's just grown over the last two, three years. No one's really done anything about it because it's been funny to watch. But what they realise is it's been funny to watch this guy crash and burn. And so they, they do. They take him in and they, they sort of have an intervention to an extent. And he goes and he joins AA. However, that doesn't sort of stop the use of sort of hallucinogens. But he, you know, he basically doesn't really use drugs anymore. There's a couple of times, but his mind has already been opened. But he does. He steps away, takes some time out, knowing he's got to repair his reputation. And, and, and has a think about where he is in his career and this is around 88 and he does he he, he dries out he gets clean and he stays t- he stays alcohol free uh, till the till the for the rest of his life you know till 1994 when he passes away but there's something new about the the bill that returns uh, an energy and an eagerness and a sort of an urgency that things need to be dealt with and so that's what we now get Gone is the bill that was sort of poking fun at his the, you know the sort of um provincial home and and you know picket white picket fenced america and now comes a bill that is sort of like stood there saying America is the real problem in the world like i you know as an American, I love America, but I also see that there's a problem you know i'm the I'm standing here and saying. I'm looking at the news, and I'm watching the sort of the military that these these you know high up military officials asking for more money, and then sort of you know talking about the sort of the moral certainty of certain military acts, and but telling you, no 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 no, there is no moral certainty. You are hired killers.
0: Never see my attitude in the press. That's what bugs me. You never see my point of view. For instance, gays in the military. Now, I don't know how y'all feel about it. Gays want to be in the military. Here's how I feel about it. All right. Anyone dumb enough to want to be in the military should be allowed in. End of fucking story. That should be the only requirement. I don't care how many push-ups you can do. Put on a helmet, go wait in that foxhole. We'll tell you when we need you to kill somebody. You know what I mean? I'm so sick. I've watched these fucking congressional uh, hearings and all these military guys and all the pundits. Seriously, oh, the esprit de corps will be affected. <laughs> and we are such a moral... Excuse me, aren't y'all fucking hired killers? Shut up! You are thugs. And when we need you to go blow the fuck out of a nation of little brown people, we'll let you know. Until then... Where did the fucking military get all these more? We are the military. Is that a a village of children and kids? Where's the name? (laughs) I don't want any gay people hanging around me while I'm killing kids. (laughs) I just don't want to see it. Don't tell me this military protects our freedom. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, there ain't no one out there who's a fucking threat to us, okay? They don't exist. Oh, oh, I'm talking now only of countries we don't arm first. All right. If you want to split hairs, you've got a point. Bill, what about the nations we sell arms to and then go pull the fuck out of them? Okay, they might be scary for about a day. We give them the old weapons, we use the new ones on them, you know. Fucking Iraq found that out, huh? You have the Scud, we have the Patriot. The Scud times two, you fucks. Just keep selling them the shitty shit, you know. are fighting the next year, they'll have muskets. <laughs> America won a war with this. Yeah, 100 years ago! We got new shit now. Fuck. What is that? It's musket repellent. <laughs> I can kill you by looking at you.
1: Like he's the one that was willing to say this. And this is before like the first Gulf War. You know, this is where, during the, you know, this is during the sort of the rah-rah, the end of the rah-rah Reagan era, the height of that sort of, like, super patriotic America, and he's turned around and saying, no, 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 it's garbage, go back to sleep, America, you know, you just carry on look, looking the other way, be distracted by American gladiators while your government goes and bombs a bunch of people, or segregates off this, or does that, like... He's the kind of person that was willing to do it, but he does it as an act, and it's incredibly good. It's this. This is where he starts to get his notoriety because all of a sudden he's something different, and the you know not just the news media, but uh, entertainment media sort of starts to take notes, and he gets booked more and more, and he starts to get a real name. But the problem is, he will never reach. or sorry, he'll never break through a certain glass ceiling in America because of his sentiments. Because of the fact he is actually stood there saying not that America's broke, like evil, that's never his point, because he's you know, he will admit that he loves it. But that it you know, you have the right, nay the obligation, to point out a country's flaws, then deal with them. So the news media, like you know, he says like quite you know, quite one of the strongest things he sort of says is why is it we've got the war on drugs? Why is it that every news story about drugs is a negative story? Why is it you always hear about some kid who sort of, you know, takes LSD and acid and then goes and jumps off a building because they thought they could fly? You know, the tragic death. And he's like, it's not tragic. It's one more moron killed. You don't see birds, you know, not all birds jump off a building. Try and take off from the floor. Like, he was willing to push like it's for, one of the things I enjoy most is one of his early shows, Sane Man, um, was an hour. It's an hour, no, it's, not, it's just shy of an hour. A special that he recorded or had someone recorded for him at the comedy uh, workshop in Houston, and he's laying some of this stuff out, and you can hear in the audience the laughter, and there's still people going, <laughs> they don't know whether it's a laugh or not, whether this is serious or they should be you know looking at themselves or is this a joke they don't know and i kind of like that uncomfortableness but what it meant is sort of like in those late 80s 88 89 90 like he struggled like mad like he would talk constantly and would report back you know this idea of sort of uh, going into a um a diner you know reading the book and someone stopping up and going like you know what are you reading for and he's like well what? not being asked what am i reading but what am I reading for? Like this anti-intellectualism in America, sort of like you know, clearly angered him, um, and also this sort of like aggressive religiosity that sort of was was permeated throughout America. This sort of like uh, righteous Christianity. Uh, where he would say all these things you know and he would question them and confront them with these things and he also has a bit where he talks about some guys stopping him outside of a club and it's true this has happened like you know he stopped him and sort of like they pushed him into a corner and sort of said we don't like what you said buddy you know we're christians and we don't like it his response is like well as christians then like forgive me that's where that's, that's your morality not mine. That's what you're supposed to do. You can't be angry with me. You know your sort of moral outrage is ridiculous in this case. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And it's, he put up a mirror to America and said, "Have a good look at yourself. Have a good look at what's going on. You know, you, this is a, an area where we had like the Iran Contra deal. We'd had all these other things going on in the states and you know, during the eighties. And he was like, do 'Don't celebrate yourself because you, we're no better than you know some of these nations that we go and bomb the fuck out of.'" And so he hit a brick wall. So in like 1990, 91, he hits a real brick wall. Like there's no way he's gonna go any further. They don't wanna put him on sort of like he's never gonna get a sitcom, he's never gonna get a film. He's happy doing the touring. But like he can't get beyond that. Like he's never gonna be doing gigs. And something happens. He travels to the Edinburgh Festival. And he wins an award in at the Edinburgh Festival, nineteen ninety one. And all of a sudden a country embraces him, and his cynical anarchic humour lands, and he starts travelling the UK. And all of a sudden, like he takes off. And this is a country that you know. I'm a Brit. I'm from the UK. I know how it plays. In this country. This is a country that sort of had things like the young ones spitting image. We've already had people like Billy Connolly sort of telling us. We've had you know Ben Elton, um, Alexis Sale. These comedians sort of you know we produced. Um, armando and Anucci, you know we've had sort of all these we we are willing more than ever to look at ourselves and go yeah you're a bit of a prick <laughs> like to our governments or even to ourselves and all of a sudden this this guy this american stand-up, been doing the same and we're like well done congratulations and we loved him and he he went over in the states and you can see him again appearing and appearing. he just he talks. and he appears on several good... Like, one of the weird things is, you can see this happen. He, he appears on like shows where he's been booked because they're like, "Oh, this guy's getting some notoriety. It's time we got him on the show. Unfortunately, they're not entirely sure what they're getting. And so when they get Bill Hicks and he starts to say a couple of things, you can see the uncomfortableness of the presenters. There's a great one. Uh, it's, it's on the internet. It's on YouTube. Go find it. Bill Hicks on Good Morning Britain. Uh, from way back in in the late 80s I can't remember who the the host is but she sort of questions him a couple of things and he starts to lay out these things and it's just hilarious to hear her response because she does not know what to do with herself she's a bit sort of struck by what he has to say and that's always going to be the case but the mainstream audiences really enjoyed him and this sort of culminated in uh, a Performance that's on that's uh, available. It's on Prime actually at the moment, but it's available um, on DVD, and it's almost like the pinnacle of his career. It's a show called Revelations, 1992, and uh, it was filmed in London. And he walks on stage as a sort of like as. It's wonderful the way it's done. It's got a little intro of him on a horse. You know, he's a Texan at heart, really. So it's he, it's uh, him on a horse riding through this sort of desolate landscape. And then finally sort of like the a back part of the stage opens and it's this silhouette of a cowboy. Like he's got the cowboy hat long sort of um, duster on and that sort of thing. And that's what he is. He's like an outlaw. Like, you know, he is this American comedian outlaw there to tell it as it is. And you then get this sort of like... Seventy minutes of riotous pummeling humour. You know, some of it I will admit hasn't aged well. But even if Bill was around today, you would be care. I can see him stood to be like, "I don't give a fuck." I said it in nineteen ninety two. It's still valid. You know. Yeah, I probably. You know, there's some um, gay bashing is probably the wrong word. But there's a little bit of homophobia in there. There's a little bit of misogyny. But it's still sort of like the points are valid. I mean, one of the most amazing things is that when he does this show, it's sort of like just after the the Los Angeles riots, you know. So he's sort of uh, been around, been touring, goes back, and he's sort of like America is starting to change. Uh, And that's why, again, it seems relevant today because some of the stuff he talks about, this notion of police brutality and the corruption of these things—like you look at you—I'm listen, listening to a guy in 1992, and this is almost like it was 18 years ago, and he's speaking the truth that is still hurting us today. And that's what's baffling to me—that no one was listening and then. Don't really think they're listening now, but there's still going to be some, you know, noise about it. Um, it's wonderful. The show is amazing, and it's well worth seeing. It's probably it is the pinnacle uh of his sort of like you know where eddie murphy had like raw and you see these other comedians got stand-up shows that are so good this is that this is quintessential bill hicks it's him riding the wave him as like a rock star comedian and i recommend you track it down because he is absolutely outstanding unfortunately that's sort of the end of the line uh, and it's so so tragic because he there goes quiet he still tours definitely you know he's still touring and um does all these you know bits and pieces appears on a couple of shows uh and but he, he, it's like you can tell you know people say around him there was anecdotal stuff that said yeah it was like he was making peace with the world you know he obviously come to something but he was fighting and he'd been diagnosed with cancer now he didn't let anybody really know he kept it as quiet as possible within a sort of very tight circle and intended to do something about it. So he did, he 40 he had chemotherapy and all the other bits and pieces. Still taught, carried on going, until eventually it was determined that it was incurable. It couldn't go, nothing more could be done. And so he does his final show and it's recorded. It's on YouTube, it's there to be found, his final show, and he actually stands up and he admits, to the audience, from the first thing of this space, all sort of like, you know, thank you very much for, you know, for, the, for the applause and everything. i am going to say, this is my last ever show tonight. I will not be touring again. This is my retirement show. And it's only like some dingy club. It's not, this isn't like, you know, a big um, hall or an arena or anything like that. This is a dingy club, and he's, it's, he's given it as his farewell address. And it's really sad to see. It's still a good show, but it's still really sad to see. And then he went quiet, and he basically went around and met his friends. They did one more sort of like shroom session out at the ranch with his friends, and then he sort of returns home to his parents, uh, and uh, that's where he passes away in 1994. Um, and, the, and the world learns about it, and in some ways, in some cases, there's a bit of a shrug like, "Oh, tragic," and it is tragic. It's more than tragic. It's, it's you know, it's one of those things where you know the good die young um he was 32 when he died and you know this this notion of you know being taken and I, i'm not religious, but you know I, there's a documentary american the bill hicks story uh, that's again well worth uh watching in fact it's more than well worth watching it's it's, it's i would suggest it's mandatory really watch it it's a fan- not it's just a good story of bill hicks it's a really well done documentary um But some of the stories, you know, you get people saying, you know, well, he's up there with Jesus now, and I'm sure he's telling them what to do, and you know, or him and Jesus are are bantering, blah blah blah. And there's part of me thinks, but but he had a mission statement. Like, you know, the the world wasn't ready for him then. He should have had longer. Like he needed longer. Like there was a time he could have, you know, he could have done more. And so I'm not religious. I don't believe um, he was taken for a purpose. I think it's just a tragedy that he's cancer. And I think, you know, he has, with, with time, his star, you know, that cult star has faded somewhat, but he still stands up. I was introduced to him by accident, really, because uh, a friend of mine, years ago, sort of early 2000s, early two I'd been at university, come back from university, and um, a woman that I knew we were talking about comedy around a friend's house I was, I was talking about Bill, uh, Billy Connolly and Jack Dee and some of ones I really liked and she said oh you need to watch this DVD I've got called Total, Totally Bill Hicks and it's a compilation of some of his stuff and then she also told me oh you need to check out Philosophy which is like a, a, a CD uh, uh, you know, if you remember what those are uh, of uh, uh, Best Bits like a compilation again of his Best Bits and they blew my mind uh, that someone was was talking about this and that was it i went on a bit of a deep dive you know i got, I got relentless on uh relentless, sorry, revelations on um dvd i still have it um and i i sort of you, you know think back to bill hicks every now and then and sort of especially at times like now when the world is in chaos and the things have gone crazy like what would bill think about this you know, he's one of those comedians you do think, oh, "What would he be thinking?" And he'd probably be laughing his ass off at some of the things that Bill, that, you know, big old B- B- Donald Trump's coming out with. Like he would be ripping him to shreds. But I also think he'd be broken hearted at what is going on um, in the streets of some of these towns, and that's what's important. That you know, this voice was was taken from us, and it's it's a real tragedy. Um so i honestly think i just wanted to have this show to sort of talk about bill hicks go check him out you can find him online go on youtube um there's actually if you've got amazon prime music uh, there's two of his, his albums are on there um yeah i think there's some stuff on spotify but you can find examples of his stuff readily available go find him out uh, you'll notice i've put some fair use i call them fair use snippets into the show and we're going to finish with a bit of a doozy but yeah i, I just wanted to say like this then like Bill Hicks, legend, cult favourite, speaker of truths, but also a fantastic stand up comic. I think we're going to come back to this. This has been a one man show. Uh, I've done this sort of with my notes and just wanted to sort of try and see if this works with the right energy to do this topic. So we'll see if I come back to this. We've got some of the big stuff coming. We did a poll recently and uh, it was decided that the final uh retrospective we're going to do for this year is going to be the back to the future trilogy so i'll be bringing somebody on to do that and uh a couple of other special things coming up i've got a bit of a mini documentary i've been putting together that's going to come up before the end of the year as well and uh, uh yeah so some of the some dread related things and of course christmas we're going to be covering christmas um uh you know we'll do a christmas special but in the meantime Thank you very much. Don't forget to check out previous shows. Don't forget to go check out the sister podcast, 20th Century Geek sister podcast, Stories Out of Time and Space, the sci-fi movie review uh, podcast. Uh, also, if you enjoy what you listen to, if you enjoy any of these shows, please, a five-star uh, rating is appreciated on any podcast catcher that you use. Um, check us out. We have an Amazon wish list. 20th Century Geek. We're out there. But if you don't want to do that, we have Patreon. Uh, we have a Patreon. That uh, we have some fantastic uh, patrons, some supporters. I do a, a monthly podcast, 30 minute thoughts. Uh, I put in a poll. They choose what the, the topic is going to be, and I give my thoughts for 30 minutes. Very much like this, really. And uh, you know, there's that. There's also you get to choose every quarter one of the shows that I do much like this so check out the patreon i really appreciate it any support uh, whether it be a review or a full patreon um again thank you very much as i'm going to say uh, i'm going to say thank you very much and i'm going to let's be led out by the great man bill hicks
0: Take all that money we spend on weapons and defense each year and instead spend it feeding, clothing, and educating the poor of the world, which it would many times over. Not one human being excluded and we can explore space together, both inner and outer, forever in peace. Thank you very much. You've been great. I hope you enjoy it. London, you're fantastic.